An interesting point that I raised in my Sunday show, Ari, was a, um, I got a letter from the camp uh, that my daughter had gone to for summer camp. And it was, a, it was not a bad letter. In fact, it was a very nice letter. It was a letter saying how great and kind and thoughtful my daughter was <clears throat> and what a pleasure she was to have on board. And they gave a couple of examples of how, you know, but kind of more generally like uh, she's thoughtful, she's responsive, she wants to participate, she cares about other people having a good time, um, she looks you in the eye, she shakes hands nicely. Uh, that was it. It was about a page long. They spent a long time, however, writing this. It was typed up. It was, it was a nice letter. We, we were very proud to receive such a letter. And we knew that not all the other girls in her cabin were getting such a letter. And I, I looked over the letter and I thought, what, what really here is extraordinary? And the answer is not very much, right? I mean, and it dawned on me, like, what, how very little it takes to be above average, Right? Especially in her generation, um, all you have to do is smile and look at uh, the person directly, uh, not exhibit uh, obvious ADHD symptoms, um, be respectful, generally speaking, and maybe ask a question or two like, how are you? <laughs> and then suddenly you're a cut above the others. You're, you're better than everyone else all of a sudden. And it, it dawned on me that that is true about so many other things in our lives. So, you know, I'm a lawyer, obviously, and, and I, I remember getting a, uh, some uh, words of advice from a friend who, among the other many attorneys that I interviewed to kind of figure out what do I need to do to run a successful practice. This is already 20, 20 years ago. And the, the thing he said, I got good advice from everyone else, but the, the thing that he said was, Brooke, do you want to be better than 95% of all the other attorneys out there? And then he snaps his fingers just like that. And I said, yeah, of course. I mean, I, you know, it was a rhetorical question. Of course I want to know. So he said, he looks this way and that. And then he says, return people's phone calls. And return them reasonably promptly. Like by the next day. And I said, I think I can do that. Yeah, I, I can. I'm gonna, I'm suddenly, I was suddenly going to be better than 95% of the attorneys because I returned a phone call. And it seemed absurd to me at the time. But then I realized, yeah, that's exactly what it takes. Not very much. Just to be a little bit above average and you stand out all of a sudden. And, it, and it's true about uh, the way we comport ourselves in our relationships, right? I mean, I, I hear a lot of women complaining about uh, men and and. Who are whom they are dating, and the stories that I'm hearing are so absurd, and it just it strikes me so easy to just be a, a reasonably nice date by saying hello, by paying for the dinner, by opening a door once in a while, asking the woman on the date, you know, a little bit about her. In fact, kind of focusing on her a lot, and you'll just clean up. You'll be the the best guy out there for dating purposes, and of course, naturally, there's similar language you can use with women uh, in the dating scene. But I, I think it goes all the way like this. I mean, think about it, and I brought this up in the, on the sh Sunday show. What does it take to be a great president of the United States, right? Does it, all it really takes is to not be some sort of meddler into the affairs, the business affairs of Americans. Get out, get out of the way. 
focus on the security of the country, focus on making sure that the regulations are observed, to focus on uh, making sure the police are respected uh, and the judiciary is respected. And, and that's pretty much it. You know, you really don't need to do too much to be a great president. Right? Calvin Coolidge was a great example of that. He just he got rid of departments instead of increasing them. And he was considered, and he should be considered, one of the greatest presidents we ever had. I think Trump was great for that same reason. Um, but he had to unwind so much. Um, so he did have to be somewhat active. But the whole goal of his mind was to, to declutter the system. Uh, but I, I digress. The point is that it takes very little to be considered excellent. That's all. Spend a little bit more time, if you're a lawyer, for example, on uh, dedicating yourself to research and making sure that the, uh, the document that you submit to the court <laughs> doesn't have uh, too many mistakes. How about that? Okay? That has an organized, logical train of thought. That's all you need. Uh, and if you do that, suddenly you'll be better than 95, in this case, 98, 99% of the attorneys out there. What a world. Really, what a world. I, I just, I, I find that. What do you think? I mean, like, you're, you're a producer, Ari, right? And I think you're a very good producer. What, do you, what would you say is, you know, the thing that kind of makes you a cut above the others that you do differently that you would think, okay, everyone should do this? I'm sober a greater percentage of the time more than other producers. I wake up, I'm alert, I listen, I pay a relative amount of attention to what's going on around me. Yeah. Uh, I try to give a relatively cogent answer or explanation for doing what I do to people both above and below me. Yeah. That's it. I, I, I think that's wonderful. I mean, well, look, that's very consistent with what we were talking about. And as it applies to your daughter, I think it basically just means you're, uh, you do your best to be considerate and relatively um, awake and alive human being, unlike the current president. Basically, yes. <laughs> if you look at him as an anti-role model, as in just do the opposite of what he does and you'll be fine. Yeah. You know, oh that's that's right? really a brilliant point. Yeah, it's 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 very uh, look, that's to me, it's fascinating because, you know, my, one of my favorite movies uh, to raise kids with is not the new version of it, but the, the original version, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I think that's what the title is. But you, you know what I'm talking about, the one with Gene Wilder, right? And here's a movie that when you think about it, when you boil it down, all it is, uh, have you seen that movie, Daniela? Daniela's here, by the way. She's one of our interns at Lurie and Kramer. Love it. Um, but you've seen that movie? <laughs> a while ago. Okay. So I haven't seen it either, so. Oh, okay. Well, it's, I know what you're talking about, okay. but I, I haven't seen it. I think I know the point you're making. Okay. So the, the point is, here's a, here's a movie. And the plot is very basic. Uh, Charlie, who is uh, very poor, his, his whole family is very poor, uh, they get a special ticket to go to this chocolate factory uh, that is owned by Willy Wonka. And uh, he, among, I think, six other kids, uh, has this glorious opportunity to take a tour of the chocolate factory. And, you know, everyone in the town wants to be part of this tour, but they, they all got the golden tickets in the chocolate bars uh, that they were eating, and there it is. So... He, uh, he goes in there, and all the other kids are there. And while they're taking the tour, they see uh, very enticing experimental programs that are going on. So this, for example, there's one uh, program where they're making this gum that will be uh, forever flavorful and never loses its flavor. 
but it's still experimental. And kids, you know, don't, don't even try it. But sure enough, one of the kids says, oh, I want to try it. And she ends up kind of floating away. And something bad about, happens to her because she, she disappears, basically. And so now there are only five. And then there's another one where they, they have yet another experimental product. And the, this kid, of course, has to try it out. And next thing you know, he gets sucked into that. And slowly, one by one, there's, there's nobody left except for Charlie. And, and then at the end of the uh, movie, Charlie... Uh, is left alone with his dad and Willy Wonka. And Willy Wonka eventually, uh, you know, obviously there's a few more things that happen, but Willy Wonka offers him the, the key to the factory. He wants to retire and he wants to give it now to Charlie. And you think to yourself, well, what did Charlie do that warrants him getting that factory? He did nothing, right? He, he just didn't get distracted. And, and so it is with so many of our friends and, and Ari kind of just brought this up, this, this notion that just don't do stupid stuff. Don't get sucked into drugs, alcohol, uh, you know, porn addictions. Uh, don't get sucked into gossip. Uh, don't get sucked into laziness or whatever it is. But, but really, those first three things, I think, are very paramount in, in a lot of people's lives. They get lost. And most of the, the people that get lost in our lives are people who get sucked into something like that. And that's what the Willy Wonka movie is all about. And we need to be more like Charlie, all of us. You know, you don't need to do extraordinary things to be considered an extraordinary person. Like what Ari was just saying now. Like, just wake up on time, right? Don't, don't do drugs. Be sober. Well, I think there's an even broader point that you just sort of hit on, which is this. The desire to be seen as extraordinary. Yeah. Real extraordinary people don't. They just do the work. Yeah. Okay, the best tennis player in the world just works at tennis better than other people. The trophy, the accolades, the championships are a result of the work. You don't go in and go, I want to be the best there is, and, and then take a nap. That's very Homer Simpson-ish. You know, right. The Simpsons makes fun of that you know, for the last 30 years. Right. But you just go in, you do the, the uh, unextraordinary work of showing up every day doing something that is your particular talent, your particular gift, and you do it to the best of your particular ability at the, uh, at the given day. And look, look how with athletics or art or performance, music, anything, uh, we all have good days and we all have bad days. Right. You know, your favorite actor who's done your favorite movie has been in some stinkers too. Okay, for various reasons. No one is not human. Everyone dies. Everyone needs to sleep. Everyone does a number of other different functions that are not glamorous. Don't need to be mentioned here. So you take your good days and your bad days into account, and you just do your general best as you can, you know, for the predominant number of days yeah. you can. And the results will happen. I, I like your example. That's of, my uh, lesson for life. There, <laughs> take that. The best. I, I like your um, bringing up the whole employee kind of concept because, as an employer, um, uh, you know, I, I, right now I have a fantastic uh, group of uh, attorneys and staff. I'm very happy with them, and you know, do they all create some sort of mind-boggling new uh, invention or new way of uh, looking at the law? No. They, they, what makes them great is that they show up on time. They have a good attitude. They want to be better. They ask, how can I be better? What can I do? They don't complain about the work that they're getting. Uh, and boy, it's a joy to have them. And, and I, I sing their praises day in and day out. That's, 
that's what it takes to be extraordinary. Unfortunately, it shouldn't be that way, but that's what it takes. Um, and, and these are little things. Look, this is all good news in the end of the day, I think, because it, it, it's, it's very emboldening. It's um, liberating in a way because to be great, you just just start off with showing up on time and smiling. That's it. And uh, and asking, you know, what would you like me to do next? Uh, how can I help better? What, what can I do to improve? Employers, first of all, love that. And secondly, that's what they need. So um, that's a great example. And the sober part of it, it just, and just don't do drugs. How about that? <laughs> just, just stop. And I, I when I was little, um, 10, 12, 13 years old, the hippies were very big, right? Late 60s, early 70s. Hippies were everywhere. And my dad, who obviously was in a generation ahead of them, uh, he, he, he said, he said, well, you know, you guys, you're going to grow up. And if you just stay straight and narrow, you will just clean up in this society. Everyone else is just tuned, in, tuned out. They're done. You know, it's like the world is yours. And you know what? He was right. You know, I think I'm a good attorney. I, I really do. Okay. But what makes me a good attorney is that I, I roll up my sleeves. I look at the, I do the research. I want to make sure that the clients are well taken care of. Uh, likewise, I, I feel the same way about my writing. I'm a good writer, but that's because I enjoy it and I research it and I want to make a, a good, good product. How about that? That's it. And not doing drugs, not doing alcohol, not being distracted with those things really elevates you and separates you from the rest of the pack. Yeah. You know, that's a great point. You are a great writer. Not a good writer, a great writer. Thank you. I'm a great writer, too. But there's a, something that separates you and me, Mr. Bond. You know what it is? <laughs> I don't sit down and write anything. Mostly because I don't want to. Right. So it doesn't matter how great of a writer I am. I'm never writing a book. I just never, never will. So I'm a really crappy writer because I won't write. You do. Right. You do the work. That's it, funny. It, it's, it's an interesting point. Interesting? Yeah, it's very interesting. It's it's a little bit like uh, that book. I think it's called The Outliers. Yeah, by uh, what's his name, um, Malcolm McDowell, right? Malcolm oh, Gladwell. Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell. Gladwell. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. McDowell, I think, is some sort yeah, of actor. Link, uh, point. Yeah. So yeah. The, he did the uh, Outliers, and his concept was very similar, which is look, put in the time, uh, and he had an old chapter called Ten Thousand Hours. Uh, put in ten thousand hours into anything, and you will be an expert in it. Easily, yeah, and and uh, hang on, I just want to finish this point. Um, and I, I like writing. I, I I don't know how many hours I put. I think it's close to ten thousand hours of writing, not just as a lawyer, uh, but a, a, as a, an well, author, but other things too. A lifetime. Yeah. And I've really honed my craft. I still want to improve it. I, I want to be better and better. I knew that my first book would be my worst book, so I kept on because just by nature, right? It's it's your first one. Um, but so I, I re-edited it over and over again. I had my friends look it over. Ari, you and, and uh, your lovely wife uh, looked over it quite a bit and really helped quite a bit in making it, I think, the great bestseller that it became. Uh, but even so, I look back on it and say, okay, you know, that could have been better. Um, and my next book, uh, Rise of the Sex Machines and then Atheism Destroys, are even better and so on. And hopefully the next one will be even better than that. But you've got to put in the time. Um, and, and you got to want, I think it helps when you want it. So I'll give an example of my son who is a, uh, a champion swimmer right now. You know, uh, he would not be a champion swimmer, but for the fact that he started when he was eight years old and now he's put in all this time and he's, he's going to, there's a good chance he's going to go to the Olympics 
2024. A very good chance. Uh, and if not, doesn't matter. He's just a fantastic swimmer. And he puts in the time. That's it. It's not that hard. That's the beauty of it. I, th- I think it's very uh, American in a way. Put in the time. If you want to call it hard work, that's fine. Uh, but just putting in the time. Just, just do it. It can apply to tennis. It applies to writing. We talked about it's like implying to be a good employee, well, whatever. You're going to let your son participate in a global suck-up fest? I don't know if this is where I want to go with this uh, podcast here, Ari. <laughs> but, uh, you know, leave it to Ari. The great derailment has begun. Well, that, no, that's not derailing. I'm just crappy on his parade. You know? Oh, thank you very much. All right. So I, I can't work under these conditions. I just can't. So he put, it, he put in the time, and my daughter, likewise, in lacrosse doing that, and she's an expert. And everyone looks at her and says, wow, she's, she's so fantastic. She's really an incredible player. And, and the coach, uh, you know, says to the other girls on her team, look, you know, uh, Baruch's daughter, I, I don't want to say her name because I want to keep her privacy, but we'll just call her Jane, okay? So Jane uh, puts in the time. She, Jane Dolore. Yeah, exactly, Jane Dolore. Uh, so she puts in the time. Uh, after practice, she goes back home and she tosses the ball around with her dad. Uh, and for that matter, she trains with the, the, the goal it, that she has in her house and she wants to get it perfect. And she just keeps on swinging that stick, uh, lacrosse stick, so that her hand-eye coordination is perfect and she builds a muscle m- memory. That's all it takes, right? I mean, the, these experts, the, uh, sorry, these, these star athletes that you, you see, they're not different than you and me. Other than they put in the time. Uh, yeah, they are. Well, no, 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 no. No. A swimmer doesn't necessarily... Like, like my son, uh, he's a great swimmer. Uh, it's just he put in the time. And, and otherwise, had he not put in the time, he'd be a good kid. I, you know, I'd still love him just as much, but he just wouldn't well, be where he is now. Look, with athletics, it's a little different. If your son was a midget, I mean, sorry, a little person... Uh, the time to put in doesn't matter. Music and art might matter. Uh, writing can matter. You need some talent, too. Athletics is a different story. You need some God-given gifts that are just kind of there, yeah. you know. Uh, as yeah. much as I want, I could work till the day is long, and being a baseball player, never going to be I, I, I understand that, but I, I, I still disagree bad. with that. I disagree. If you were to be Tabo Rosa and start off your life again and you were 10 years old right now or even younger and wanted to play baseball, you could be a star baseball player. No. You could have been. Because no. I did. No, because I did. No, you, you could have been. I, I disagree. Look, the, the, I, I don't want to get too far afield it's from that. It's true. I, I don't want to get too okay. far afield from it. I, the, the wanting it... Um, I th- People talk about God-given talents. I don't think that God gives us talents. I think God gives us wants. He, he, he gets us fascinated by a particular thing, and it doesn't have to be sports. It could be something else. Uh, and okay, suddenly so, we, we so, desire... Hold on, hold on. So a paraplegic who wants to walk could just walk if they want it enough? Okay, so there are obviously Ooh. exceptions. Yeah, he, th- he thinks he's got a mic drop on me. I just did. Like I, I just, yeah, okay. All right, so I want to I move topics uh, briefly um, because I, I had a very, um, very interesting conversation with somebody on the airplane on the way over today. Nice guy, um, conservative guy, actually. And his approach um, to Trump, he, he didn't want Trump 
running for president re-election in uh, 2024. Why? Because, well, you know, he's too toxic and people are so angry with him and he's so divisive. And it's those darn tweets and uh, social media posting and his, his unfortunate comments during interviews and things like that. And he's so surly. Uh, and, and because of that, there's so, uh, there's so much violence and demonstration on the street. And I said to, to this guy, do you really think that the reason why people are rioting in the streets and they're burning down buildings, and they sought to impeach him, what is it, three times, uh, and otherwise are seeking to convict him for all sorts of dastardly uh, claims. You think it's because he, he wrote a couple of mean tweets about Rosie O'Donnell, right, or, or said this or that unfortunate comment uh, about uh, a certain leader uh, some, somewhere else in the country, or a comment about uh, John McCain and, and uh, his status as a prisoner of war in Vietnam. Really? You, you think that's the reason why they're tearing up society? Really? And, and then he goes, well, when you put it that way, I mean, maybe not. And I said, you're, you're darn right, maybe not. The reason why, well, I, I mean, I think the reason why is very plain and simple. Trump was just so damn effective. And he showed how easy it was to be effective. He got the job done. We were talking before about what it takes to be a great president. He just decided to live up to his promises and to focus on what he promised that he would do without giving a damn about what other people thought. And, and more importantly, and here's the real reason why they're angry with him, and this is so obvious I, I, I'm embarrassed to say it, uh, he was a, a threat to the progressive agenda. And the first real threat to a progressive agenda uh, that was running like a runaway train. And now suddenly he's able to derail that train and say, I've got, I've got different plans here. And he started effectuating it. That's the only thing that explains to me, Ari, why he was so hated and why still remains hated as we speak. That, that's not the question, though. The question is, why are these morons on our side saying that? Well... There are two basic answers that kind of lead to sort of the same place. Number one, they're not really on our side. Okay. It's, you know, I mean, did it turn out at the final moment where it needed to that there was any difference between George W. Bush and Barack Obama? No, none. The, 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 the idea that there was a distinction or difference between those two men as president, that their, if you will, regime was any different, was a lie that people like us believed right. to our massive detriment. Right. Yeah, likewise with Romney. I mean, we, you know, Romney would have been even worse than I, Bush. I don't need to list these people that I consider the most execrable of the execrable, and they're all Republicans. The word of the day is execrable. Execrable is the word of the day. Basically means piece of, you know what. Uh, so the one, option one, they're not on our side. Option two, they're just not very smart because they're believing the media narratives, which also means they're not on our side because people on our side don't listen to the media. We don't listen to the TV anymore. We understand yeah. it's a corporate shill lying box of nonsense. And these people who come up with their excuses, oh, he's too toxic. Well, what republic? Well, George Bush was toxic. Romney was toxic. Reagan. McCain. McCain. Reagan was wildly, no, wildly no, no, toxic. No, 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 no. no my, the point is that I'm not mentioning the people who won. Reagan won. I'm mentioning the ones who lost were all toxic at the point of losing. 
Right. So if if McCain was toxic, Bush was toxic, Romney was toxic, what's the difference in toxicity levels between them and Trump? Oh, I see. Trump won. Yeah. Well, if he won, does that actually mean he's not toxic? Is, of course. Isn't of that course. interesting? Yeah, of course. He was... He was just as much Trump uh, when he ran for president than as he was when he was president and when he was no longer president. I mean, that's obvious. Uh, and the reason why they hate him is because they know that he will do extraordinary things once again, rebuild the wall. Uh, he will uh, redevelop our relationship with our foreign uh, allies and fight our foreign adversaries, particularly Iran, China, Russia, otherwise. So uh, he, everyone our, knows that. Yeah, no, he's like, right now. hold on, hold on, just no. a second. Let me let me finish. So there, there is the point: is that he, they know exactly what he'll do. That the progressive agenda, uh, he will laugh at it. And he will certainly not respect it. He even brings about the concept of how important it is to have God in our civilization. Yeah, they, they, that's, that's, what, that's what I think really threatens him the most. There's a bigger issue, too. And it goes to what you said at the top about what makes a great president. And you correctly said that in a normal American constitutional system, the president who's, if you will, most asleep at the switch will actually do the best job. Not a Biden catatonic at the right. switch, but a Reagan, hey, uh, call comes in. Hey, uh, we got something on. Did they hit the target? Yeah, I'm going back to sleep, right? right? That's good. You know, blow up the bad guys and I don't care. That's, right. that's good stuff. But in an out-of-control, post-constitutional, post-modern amalgamation of American-ishness that we have now... You need actually an active regulator of a president, but not in the way you think the words active regulator means. We don't mean a regulator like Obama or Biden or Bush regulating industries, regulating people, shrinking the, the circle of liberty around each individual, as Mark Levin would call it. What we need is what Trump did, which is a regulator of the government. Little page of the Second Amendment wording is kind of helpful to keep in mind. A well-regulated militia being necessary for a free state is yeah. uh, uh, okay. thus. Uh, let me finish. This is important. It shall uh, well. I, the idea, though, is a well-regulated government, a well-regulated bureaucracy, a well-regulated deep state yes. has now become necessary for there to be a free state. Okay. And that is what Trump was doing. And that's what threatened the order and the wealth of this massive globalist cabal who in total conspiracy or all right, collusion. All right. So we, we, we agree on this. Yeah. So, so, so we're saying the same thing. In a Look, way, but it's more profound than just the... Okay. Yeah. Okay. You're, you're more profound than what I said. I, I, I understand. Right. But it's it's deep. It's very deep. People don't like uh, the American experiment. They don't like the idea of freedom. They don't like the idea of limited government. Um, they don't like the idea of independence and the, the celebration of the individual. They like uh, non-accountability. They, they want to destroy the Ten Commandments. Uh, they like atheism because of all those things as well. So that's what the progressive mindset seeks these days. And sadly, they're getting it, uh, and they're getting away with it. Look, no, I, it, no, to, okay, I'm moving on to a different point. So um, the, the comparison, uh, sorry, the comment that Trump somehow 
is toxic because of the tweets. Those damn tweets, right? And, you know, our, our fellow conservatives say, right? Which really, I, it's one thing for the, the left to say, which they don't even believe themselves, I think. They, the, the real reason is because it's, it's a threat to the progressive train. But uh, if that were true, all we need to do is look at another conservative who is uh, equally mal maligned, if not more so, and see whether or not he does, the reason why he's hated. Here it is, a man named Clarence Thomas, right? They hate him with such gusto. They think he's the devil incarnate. And guess what? Not one thing can you point to by Clarence Thomas, other than that, that, that has been fabricated against him, but not one comment, and certainly not no, no tweet, right? No interview, misstatement, or he misstep. He himself with perfect class. And He's dignity. a perfectly class and dignity, and yet, <laughs> and yet, they hate him so much. So it only, it, it only, it just blows up the argument that somehow it's those damn tweets, well, right? It's, it's garbage. It's also, all garbage. There's also to, to the, the genius of you mentioning Thomas goes to one other thing that's just laced in the self-destructive nature of the the enemy politically, which is how they're now claiming that post Roe, that the Supreme Court with Thomas on it will make interracial marriage illegal. Yes. And he's married to a white woman. Good point. That's a really good... Nobody... <laughs> that's really funny. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's so absurd. I mean, these are the same people when, um, when Bush uh, became president, I remember. And again, I'm not a big fan of uh, George W. Bush or his father, for that matter. Uh, but they, every, every time a Republican gets into the presidency... Uh, they say, okay, uh, it'll be back to, uh, you know, coat hangers for abortions and back alley abortions. And, and women will be forced to be slaves in the kitchen, barefoot, and not allowed to have jobs. And, uh, and who knows what else? It's, it's so absurd. Uh, but they, they go about these things, and then they say the same thing over and over again, hoping that you'll buy it. And I think a lot of people do buy it. They must buy it because they, 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 buy it. they do it over and over again, every, every election cycle. Anyway, folks, I, I have to tell you, it is, you know, I guess this is actually these, these two comments, these two ideas really kind of do match. And, and thank you for connecting it, Ari. Uh, look, what does it take to be just a little bit better, to be an exceptional president, to be exceptional anything? You just got to be slightly above average. And, and don't, uh, don't, don't, you know, uh, what's the word? Like I mingle in, I know, I'm, I'm trying to intermeddle or uh, try, don't screw things up in, in your own personal life. Just be like Charlie in the chocolate factory. That's all it is. And if you do that as a president, understand that your default is to be very wary of taking big, bold actions other than perhaps undoing previous mis missteps of bold actions like Roe v. Wade, for example, or the fact that the embassy was uh, still in, in Tel Aviv and promises were made. Uh, then, then you'll be okay. Just, just focus on that, and great things will happen for our country. All right, folks. Well, listen, thank you so much, uh, Ari, for being here with me today. And uh, we love this country. We just want this country to remain the exceptional country that it is. And it doesn't take much. I guess that's the whole point of this podcast. All right, this is Brock Lurie signing off. Saying God bless, and we'll talk with you next week.